Hello and welcome. Choose to Move, a podcast discussing trends in health and fitness. I hope that you find your inspiration and choose to move. Hi, this is Drs. Nathan Hellyer and Melissa Hake from the Mayo Clinic Physical Therapy Program. And today we are sitting down to discuss concepts and principles related to resistance training. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. So um, first of all, I thought we would talk a little bit about um, components of exercise prescription. Um, we hear about number of repetitions and sets as a focus of the prescription. And the evidence suggests that 10 repetitions and three to four sets provide the ideal parameters for increasing strength. So with that in mind, should we always be using three sets of 10 repetitions with clients? Yes, that's a great question. So we always tend to go to that 10 repetition for a set. And uh, we oftentimes will advocate for doing three to four sets or at least multiple sets. It's important to remember, though, that we need to consider who we're working with. A lot of the evidence that supports that three set, 10 repetition prescription is from studies done in young, healthy adults. And many times these studies are trying to answer the question, what is going to give us the most strength for a given activity? So the outcome of the study may be, how do we get to be the strongest, or in other words, how do we get to lift the most weights for say a bench press or say doing a leg squat? And so for those types of activities in young healthy individuals, yes, multiple sets, 10 repetitions is a great target and a great place to start. But we need to consider who we're working with and what their goals are. And reps and sets should meet the needs of that training goal. So consider, for example, that many of our training adaptations that take place early on in training are due to neurological adaptations rather than purely gains in cross-sectional area or muscle mass. So we're seeing more changes in the nervous system than we are in skeletal muscle. And if we think in terms of learning and neurologic activity, we know that higher reps is actually better for learning. So if we have a client who is just starting an exercise program and their goal is to get better at doing a certain task, we need to take in mind that maybe doing higher repetitions of a doing a technique well is gonna be better early on for their learning of that task. And their overall goal may not be to see how much they can lift in a bench press or how much they can squat their goal may simply be to get out of a chair better. It may be to be able to climb stairs better. And so we need to think about the demands of that activity and the starting point of the individual before we just immediately go to that three sets and 10 repetitions. Okay, so that, that's really helpful. So it sounds like um, just to kind of summarize there that the three sets of 10 was really uh, focused on how can someone improve their performance for that particular exercise. And therefore we need to keep in mind um, that the goal for our client is likely not just getting better at the exercise, but there's some functional impact in, um, that we have in mind. And then lastly, that um, 
more repetitions um, is what is going to influence the neural adaptation the most. And so um, another consideration would be what phase of training uh, we're in for that individual. So higher reps might be better for early learning. Does that sound right? Yes, that's exactly true. And I don't want to downplay the idea that we may need more in intensity and that eventually that 10 steps, 10 repetitions to fatigue might be a, a, a good target, but it's not the only way we can go about training and it's not always the best place to start. Okay, so um, we see a lot of trends um, when it comes to exercise and they seem to come and go all the time and sometimes they, they come full circle and repeat. So um, a current trend that we've seen in the last several years is this high intensity interval training or HIT. Um, can you tell me a little bit about HIT? What's, what's the buzz all about here? Yeah, so HIT certainly has become a popular exercise regimen, especially in fitness clubs and is all over the internet in terms of YouTube videos of how to do HIT and different HIT regimens. HIT has actually been around for, for many decades. It hasn't always been called HIT. Uh, interval training has been done for a long time, working with high school and college athletes and different types of, of running programs. So it, it's not new, but like many fitness trends, uh, they come and go and they generate buzz from time to time. Uh, what is HIT? It's, it's basically an exercise where you perform a movement with or without resistance and you do so more intensely than you normally would. And oftentimes it's at a very high intensity, 80, 90, 100% of your maximal effort. And what's unique about HIT is that there's a variable amount of rest between sets or between your movements that you're doing. And that variance in rest is usually a very short period of time with very little recovery between those intense bouts of activity. And so that really minimizes the recovery time between your sets of exercise. So that's a little bit about what HIT is. Uh, some of the buzz is that there's a lot of suggestion that you can get a very efficient workout using HIT. So a high amount of intensity in a short amount of time, you get a lot of fitness advances with a very short workout. So rather than spending an hour doing a low intensity jog, you can do a HIIT exercise routine for perhaps 15-20 minutes and possibly achieve some of the same aerobic and strength training benefits. And sometimes more strength training benefits if we're thinking about increasing that intensity as opposed to just going out for a jog where we're pretty much just working on aerobic endurance. So there's also some recognition that intense training is needed to, to reach specific goals. Like I said, if you're going to go out and just do a jog or you're going to do a light aerobics routine, you'll see gains in aerobics and your aerobic capacity. But you aren't going to see the, the gains in strength and power that might be developed through HIT. And oftentimes that's required for improving a person's either performance in their job, their leisure activity, or just their daily life. Uh, the other buzz for HIT is trends in fitness clubs and trends such as CrossFit and like programs where there's a big emphasis on extremely high intensities and extremely um, 
uh, aggressive types of workouts that appeals to certain fitness clients. Um, it's important to recognize, though, that HIT is just one component of a training program, especially a resistance training program. The other thing to remember is that there's more complexity when thinking about HIT prescription because there are more moving parts or more moving components that are part of that exercise prescription. For example, you not only have intensity, but you also need to consider about uh, the duration time and recovery times, both within the sessions of HIT and between sessions. Okay, so I, I can see in this um, time-strapped age that we're in that um, having a very efficient workout could be very appealing, and we know a lot of individuals say they don't work out because they don't have time, so I can see how that would be an appeal. So is HIT training for everyone, or is this really just um, what's prescribed for athletes or people that are into extreme fitness? Okay, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering that. And I would say that like many types of exercise, there's a spectrum of HIIT training. And so there's room for modification. So just like any kind of exercise that we might be prescribing to a patient or a client, we're gonna wanna think about what's going to be appropriate for that individual. So would HIIT be appropriate for somebody who has say heart disease or maybe even diabetes? Let's consider uh, that person who wants to do HIIT and they do have a history of heart disease. Perhaps part of their current regimen is they go out and walk for 60 minutes every day and they want to incorporate HIIT. How might they do that? Well, one day they might decide that they're going to, instead of just walking over a level ground, they're going to do some hills. And so they'll find a hill in their neighborhood and they'll uh, walk 60 minutes up that hill, which is going to be a much more intense walking activity than walking over level ground. And they can do that 60 second hill, walk back down. That will allow them to recover and then they can walk back up that hill and they might repeat that eight times. And so rather than doing a 60 minute workout, it might be a 15 or 60 minute workout, but the amount of walking that they're doing is more intense. If they're on a treadmill, they could do something similar where they just elevate the, the incline of the treadmill, perhaps to a two to 3% grade for a short period of time, that's 60 seconds, and then recover for 60 seconds. Or they could just increase the speed for that 60 seconds on the treadmill. And so that would be a form of hit for that individual. So there's a wide variety of ways you can use HIT at differing intensity levels, but the idea is you're going to do something for a short period of time at a higher intensity than what you're used to doing, and you're going to space out those bursts of high intensity activity with very short times of recovery. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so that kind of brings up uh... Something else that's on my mind is it sounds like um, this period, this recognition that there should be a period of rest and recovery with HIT or any other exercise regimen is something that seems to be often ignored. Um, I think we've all known people uh, who have the mindset that more is better and um, they don't really think so much about rest and recovery. So as physical therapists, why are rest and recovery 
things that we should be very intentional about when we prescribe um, exercise as an intervention. Well, one thing to think about is that exercise is a form of stress. It's a good stress, but we need time to adapt to that stress. So the more intense the exercise or less accustomed a person is to the training, the more their body is going to experience stress. So if we think about that and think about it in the biology of our bodies and the way we adapt to stress, exercise starts a complex process in cells and it helps our cells anticipate what future demands might be. But it takes time for the cells to start that process. They may need to repair after a training regimen. They may need to make new proteins and they may need to change the way that they store and utilize energy. So we need to give ourselves time to make those changes. Otherwise they will be overwhelmed and we won't see the positive adaptations that we wanna see following exercise training. It will no longer be a good stress, but it could be a bad stress. So imagine this, imagine you were to build a house and you started skipping steps. Maybe you started trying to put on a roof before you had installed all of the rafters. So that's gonna cause a lot of structural problems. So you might think of yourselves building a structure in a similar fashion. It takes time, and if you don't give cells that time, you can do damage or at least not see positive gains. I wanna point out, we talked a little bit about high intensity interval training or HIT, and one thing that we sometimes see with that is a disease process called rhabdomyolysis, where muscle actually starts falling apart due to excessive stress. This has occurred in programs such as CrossFit, we've seen it in military training programs, and we've seen it in strength training programs in many colleges and amongst professional athletes. It can actually be a life-threatening condition because as the muscle breaks down, it can overwhelm the kidneys and their ability to process all the proteins that have been released. So that's an extreme case of not giving cells the chance to recover and repair and adapt but it can happen on a much milder level and it's just gonna keep us from achieving the goals that we're trying to, to get after. So it sounds like um, kind of what we hear a lot is that we need to consider the individual client in front of us and what they're bringing to the table and how we need to adapt our interventions for that person. Um, so where, where should, um, where should we start? What are some general guidelines for rest and recovery? How do we know how much rest and recovery to give someone? So if you're going to do a high intensity or intense resistance training program, the most basic guideline is to at least space exercise sessions by 24 hours. But sometimes we need to make that 48 to 72 hours depending upon how intense that exercise session was and exactly how the individual's body recovers. So sometimes light, okay, light activity is okay during those rest days. Some, this is something we call active recovery. So a workout 
at an intensity of 50% or less can be a good addition to an exercise program. So on those days between the intense resistance training, this is a time to work on light aerobics or maybe a technique. So keeping the activity light, but still using our bodies to stay active. This can be challenging for individuals who really like to push themselves to the max. But it's important because if we are training at too high levels on those recovery days, it can actually slow our gains in performance. So that is sort of a basic guideline in terms of time. A subjective way to think about this is to have a person ask themselves, how do I feel? So in the clinic, we use what's called the rating of perceived exertion. And so on a scale, a numeric scale of six to 20, or, or more commonly, we use a scale of one to, one to 10, we ask people to ask, and we ask people to rate themselves on what their exertion was, with one being no exertion, 10 being their maximum exertion. And what we know is that when people are fatigued, they tend to judge activities as more exhausting when they are rested and recovered. So if an individual is training at a very light level after a day of intense training and they're perceiving that as being very fatiguing and very tiring, it's probably a good subjective measure of saying that they're trying to do too much too soon and they need additional rest. More objectively, we can look at resting heart rate. So a heart rate taken immediately when we wake up in the morning gives us a good estimate of our resting heart rate. And so if we take that heart rate daily, it gives us a good baseline for our own personal resting heart rate. We know that resting heart rates is lower and younger and healthier and exercise trained individuals, but regardless of age and our training level, our resting heart rate tends to increase for 24 to 48 hours after very intense exercise and gives us a very good idea of the stress level in our body. And so if our resting heart rate is significantly elevated, then that tells us that it's a rest day and that we should give ourselves time before we exercise intensely again. Okay. Um, resistance training is uh, something that it sounds like anyone can do. So we've talked about people that have more complex conditions and how we can modify resistance training for them. Um, people will find all kinds of information out on the web. They'll see online videos. They might join exercise classes at a gym. Why do you think it's important for um, individuals to have one-on-one -on -one instruction for resistance training? And what is PT's role in this? Okay, great question. So the first thing in starting any exercise program is first, you want to avoid injury. You don't want to add any harm to your body already. You want to see the benefits of exercise and you want to see gains in your ability to be stronger and more fit, um, but you don't want injury. So an important part of that is good biomechanics. Physical therapists are experts in movement, both technical movement and functional movement. And good biomechanics is essential to prevent injury. And we need to use good biomechanics when we're doing exercises. So biomechanics is just simply the study of the way people move. 
those movements and biomechanics can be different in different individuals depending upon their anatomy, their physiology, and perhaps their medical history. So it's an important that a professional like a physical therapist make an accurate assessment, not only of the individual's fitness level, their strength level, but also assess the way that they move so that they can provide the right instruction to the right person at the right time. And if somebody is not performing an exercise correctly, especially when we're adding a load or weight to the individual, that can put them at risk of injury. And it can also prevent them from achieving the goals in strength functional strength that they want to gain. So going through the motions is not enough. Uh, we need to make sure that people are training with proper movement. They're doing it in a safe manner and that they are actually training the muscles, the right muscles in the right way so that they see the goal that they want to achieve. Great. So we've talked about, um, rest and recovery, the importance of that. You've talked about um, how important it is that people understand um, good biomechanics. Uh, us as physical therapists, if we're instructing clients, um, how we can individualize programs to people with different kinds of health conditions. Um, one parameter that we haven't talked about yet is um, progression. So why is this uh, another important factor that we should keep in mind with resistance training? Yes, so exercise is a stimulus for a, for a change in our body. So like most stimuli that we experience, our bodies adapt over time. And so if we do the exact same exercise routine day in, day out, our body isn't gonna see that as a novel stimulus. Our ability to improve will plateau. So if we aren't changing anything, a fitness routine or a strength training program might be good for maintaining us where we're at. But if we're going to continue to move towards a goal, we need a stepwise progression towards that goal. And otherwise we aren't going to continue to see improvements or adaptations. There are many different ways to progress a resistance training program. We can increase the amount of weight that we're lifting, whether it's an external weight whether it's the way we use our body weight or some of the other things that we can manipulate are the complexity of the exercise. And as we talked about with high intensity interval training, we can manipulate other parameters like recovery times between the exercises that we are doing. And again, this is where individualizing a program is really important. And as physical therapists, it's really important that we understand what the individual's goal is. We need to under understand where the individual is starting from. And then we can think about how we are going to manipulate the parameters to begin with. And then it will give us guidelines on how we need to progress over time in order to achieve our goal. And that's really the role of the physical therapist. And there are some general guidelines out there for progression, but everybody progresses a little bit differently depending upon 
their motivation, their goal, and just the way their body responds to exercise. And so exercise is really, really personal. It's really individual. And that's, again, I'm going to go back to this concept. It's really important to think about this in a one-on-one -on -one fashion and not just a one-size-fits-all approach because everybody's different. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the key message that I'm hearing today is as we think about um, sets and repetitions, things like the HIIT training, uh, incorporating rest, thinking about um, guidelines for recovery and when to have one-on-one -on -one instruction. Um, we as physical therapists are bringing a unique skill set uh, to thinking through the parameters of resistance training and um, understand biomechanics as well as the complex medical conditions that could affect um, someone's ability to perform resistance exercise. So we're going to wrap up this session for today, but any final uh, parting thoughts that you have? No, I, I think this has been a good discussion and some good questions. And, and just, I think the main take home, like you said, is that exercise is individual and there's a lot of different parameters to consider. And it's, we'll, we'll maybe have some uh, more discussions on this in upcoming episodes. Thanks, Melissa. All right, thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Until next time, I hope that you find your inspiration and choose to move.